come and perform for us Wednesday night. So if you are 6th grade through 12th grade, there is a free concert happening for you. If you're older than that, sorry, uh, you can't come. But we're going to meet in Theater B downstairs. Uh, they called us and said that they're on tour and that they would love to just come perform for our youth group. And we said that's great. So we're going to host them and um, they're going to actually spend the night here with some host families and um, perform for us Wednesday night. And if you've not plugged into the youth group or you have a child that's been hesitant, this would be the ideal time to just bring them and let them uh, check it out. It's just going to be a great high energy Christian concert down there in Theater B, and we're just fortunate that they're coming. So 6th through 12th grade, uh, especially the 6th graders that are just coming into the junior high ministry, this will be a great chance for you to just kind of uh, party, if you will, with the uh, high school and junior high group. So last week, we kind of took a detour. We've been in this series uh, that we've called Absolute, a walk through the book of Luke. And last week, I kind of uh, felt like God had given me a, a one-off, if you will, and we talked about worship. But we're, we're in Luke, and we've called the series Absolute, because when Luke writes the gospel in the very beginning, he says, I, I'm writing this so that you can be sure of the things that you believe. The idea is that as we walk through the book of Luke, the evidence that he presents, the stories that he tells us, the the facts that we see help us to be sure about our faith, that we can have absolute assured faith in who Christ is. The book was written for that express purpose, to help us to know that truth is not relative, that there is such a thing as truth, and truth is absolute. So we're back into Luke, so grab your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 4 through 21. And as usual, I want to give you a little bit of context before we read. It's important whenever we come to the Word of God that we read it in context. It keeps us from getting ourselves in trouble. But in in this case, on more than one occasion, Luke has told us in the Gospel that people are coming in groves. They're coming from towns all around. They're coming from the entire region of, of Israel. Matter of fact, they're coming from outside of Israel. People are coming from outside of the region to see this phenomena, this, this thing that's going on with Jesus. As a matter of fact, we probably underestimate what an incredible sensation this, this movement was when Jesus came. And it's pretty unlikely if you were in Israel that you had not heard about this miracle working Jesus and what was going on. Small towns, word spread fast from town to town, and, and everybody knew, everybody was coming out to see what Jesus was doing. Now, I'm telling you this because the story we're going to read today, the parable that Jesus tells today, is to help us understand the difference between people who were committed and people who were just watching. It's a, it's a parable to help us to know who was kind of in and who was out. It's distinguishing between spectators and participants, if you will. He's not dis- He's, he's not, he's, excuse me, he's distinguishing between those who are curious and those who are committed. In addition to this, I, I want you to, to see that, that Jesus is gaining popularity. As more and more people come out to watch him, as more and more people are moved by the words that he teaches and the, the, the deeds that he does, people are becoming disciples of Jesus. And the more people become disciples of Jesus, the more the leadership is kind of put on notice that things are changing. So they began to plot how to kill Jesus. Make no mistake, the reason they killed Jesus was because they were going to lose their power. They were going to lose their influence. They knew that things were changing. They knew that Jesus was gaining a a huge alliance. People were were aligning themselves with him. And when they aligned themselves with him, they were aligning themselves against the, the religious order of the day. And that became the conflict that resulted in the cross. 
The last thing I want you to hear this morning before I read this is this is a very familiar parable. If you've been in the church for very long, you've heard this parable. If you grew up in Sunday school, you've heard this parable. I have taught this particular passage multiple, multiple times. And when I came to the passage this week, early in the week, I just began to pray, Lord, would you help it to be fresh for me? And that's my prayer for you this morning, that you're going to hear a familiar story and hear it afresh, hear it in a new way, and that God would give you something new and exciting out of this parable. Okay, by now, in all my rambling, you should have been able to find Luke chapter 8. By now, your Bible should be falling open to Luke, but Luke 8, we're going to read verses 4 through 21. It says, and when a great crowd was gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed and as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled underfoot and birds of the air devoured it and some fell on rock and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture and some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell on good soil, and it grew a yield of a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 9 says, When the disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said to him, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. I want to read that one more time because I think this is a powerful word from the Lord that he says to you, that he says to me, that he says to the people listening to him. He says, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Amen is right. That is a powerful thing. But for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rocks are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and when time of testing, they fall away. And as for the one that fell among the thorns, these are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for the good soil, they are those who hear the word, hold it fast and honest in a good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Verse 16 says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar and puts it under the bed, but he puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing that is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Verse 18 says, take care than how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has, it will be taken away. Verse 19 says, Then his mother and brother came to him, but they didn't reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and brother are standing outside desiring to see you. But Jesus answered them, My mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and do it. Let's pray. And my prayer this morning is that your word, the word of God, your written scriptures would really be our rule of life, that it would guide everything that we do. I pray that your spirit would speak directly to each one of us. That I pray that we would be moved deeply today by the, by the power of your Holy Spirit and receive something today that causes us to leave different than we came. 
Lord, I pray that you would stir something new, something profound, deep in our souls. Lord, help us to be people who are committed to you. Help us to be people that hear the word of God and do it. Lord, I pray that anything I say that's not of you would just fall away. I pray that those words that you have breathed into this talk through your Holy Spirit would land in good soil and it would bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think often the vivid imagery that Jesus uses is completely lost on us city folk. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus talks about sheeps and he talks about shepherds and he talks about vines and wine and watchtowers and wine presses and he, he talks about all of these agricultural sort of analogies and here we have him talking about a farmer who goes out to sow some seeds and, and the truth of the matter is as a city person it, it's sort of missed on us but there's no doubt the people who were listening, the original listeners, the people that were sitting in Jesus' company firsthand, these would have been vivid images for them. They would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about. They would have been able to see and picture in their mind what's going on. Jesus starts the parable by saying, a sower went out to sow some seeds. I brought some seeds with me, and what I want you to do is I want you to kind of picture what's going on when when this takes place. The sower, the farmer, goes out, and he's going to sow some seeds. And the thing that we have to remember is basically he's taking the seeds and he's throwing them, right? And the idea here is to create this nice, even layer of seeds on the ground. Now, this isn't the only way to plant seeds, depending on the plant. So if you have a garden, if you've maybe uh, uh, done any kind of agriculture, you know, like if you're planting corn, for instance, you're going to plant corn neatly in, in rows, probably about a foot apart. Each seed's probably going to be six to eight inches apart from each other so that each one of those corn stalks can grow up on their own and they can bear fruit in that way. But there wasn't corn In the ancient world in Israel, corn wasn't a crop that they used. The crop of choice, if you will, was wheat. And wheat is basically a grass. And the way that they would spread that grass would be to prepare the soil and then to spread the seed. So what I want you to do is to imagine that that this is my field. The stage is the field, and I've spent the time to turn up the soil, to get the soil loose, to get it ready for seeds. And, And as a farmer, I would take my seed and I would literally throw it. And we would try to just create, I don't know if you can see on the stage, but there's this nice even layer of seeds. They would just walk along throwing the seed and throwing the seed and throwing the seed. That's what's going on here. But he didn't take much to see that some of the seed fell in the area that I wanted it to, but some of it fell in the aisle way. Some of it probably even made it and hit you guys on the feet and into where the people are. It doesn't all fall exactly where you want it to. This idea of sowing seeds, it's more of an art than it is a science. The seed doesn't all land exactly in the spot where it's going to produce the most fruit. And so Jesus uses this as an amazing teaching moment. And he tells them that there are four different places where, excuse me, where the seed land. Verse 5, so as some fell on the path, it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. This is pretty straightforward. The hard areas that are packed, the seed can't germinate. I, I've had times where I've tried to plant uh, grass seed in my yard, and, and I realize that I get the, everything ready. I get some topsoil, and I get the topsoil ready. And if I step in the topsoil, and then I spread the seeds, that one spot where my foot stopped, be, stepped, because that ground is a little harder, that seed is not going to germinate. You can have grass all grow up, and you'll have a footprint right in the middle of your grass, because the grass can't get into the soil, and it can't germinate. 
Everywhere you step, the ground is too hard, those, those steps. And then the other thing that happened, so may, I don't remember if it was two or three years ago, I had a big bald patch in the front yard, and so I went and got topsoil, and I went and got seed, and I got it all ready, and I spread the seed out almost in the exact same way, just tried to get this even layer of seed on the ground, and I was excited, you know, 10 days or so, I'd have a beautiful lawn. I went in the house, got myself a cold drink of water, looked outside, and there was 8 million birds there wasn't really 8 million birds. I don't know how many birds, but it looked like 8 million. All black birds, I remember, they were all black. And they were eating the seed. And they were devouring the seed. I think I even remember calling Meg, you know, check this out. You know, I just, I just fed the neighborhood. But so they're eating the seed. No grass grew. That's when you learn that you have to cover the grass with something, cover it with straw or something to keep the birds from coming. And, you know, that's the picture Jesus is using. Some of the seed fell in an area, the, the birds come, the birds devour. Verse 6 says, some of the seeds that were sown, just like I, I threw these seeds, fell. Some fell on the rock. And as it grew, it withered away because it had no moisture. So if you've ever had a chance or if you get the chance to go to Israel, one of the things you're going to see is that it is a rugged country. It is a rocky land. Even when you get into the agricultural areas, the areas that have farming, there's still uh, rocks that shoot out. It's just a rocky place. And, and I love this. You don't really see it at first, but if you think about it, what Jesus is describing is that, you, that from all intents and purposes, when you look at the land, it looks like fertile land. You can see topsoil. But right beneath the topsoil is the, the stone. It's, it's, it's right there. So maybe the topsoil is only half an inch thick or an inch thick. And what he's saying is it, it looks good, but what's under the surface doesn't allow the plant, the roots, to go deep. It doesn't allow it to get down to the moisture. It doesn't allow it to get to the nutrition. And I love this picture because what it's telling us is things can look awesome, but it's that thing that's right under the surface that can keep the seeds from germinating. They can keep the seeds from growing. So some seeds, it fell on the rock. Verse 7, he says, some fell among the thorns. The thorns grew up with it and it choked it out. I don't really need to explain this too much. Basically, we have weeds that are robbing the soil of nutrition or choking out the plants that you want to grow. Again, if you've ever had a garden, you know how this works. You have to keep the weeds out if you want to have healthy plants. And verse 8 says, some fell on the good soil. And it grew and it yielded a hundredfold. In the ancient world, if you were to plant, if you were to sow a bag of seeds, one bag of seeds in a, in a great year with perfect weather, with the perfect amount of rain, with the perfect amount of sunshine, a good yield would have been seven to ten. Okay, so you plant one bag and you're going to get seven to ten bags, maybe only six bags in a, in a rough year, but you're, you're get, ten would be an amazing yield. Right, so you get seven bags. Bag means that you could sell a couple bags. You could grind a couple bags for your your flour for the year to make your bread. You could save a couple bags back to plant next year. But that would kind of be the the picture where you have seven to ten. So when Jesus says that you're going to get a hundredfold, everyone listening would have perked up. They would have heard him saying, "Look, this is more than you can ask, think, or imagine. Nobody would ever expect to get a hundredfold." As a matter of fact. In our culture, if you plant wheat, so it took me a while to find this, but digging through the internet, the, a great yield for wheat in our culture now is 60 to 70 fold. If you plant one bag of wheat, you're going to get 60 to 70 bags of wheat. And that's with all of our chemical enhancements and all of our hybrid seeds and GMOs, if you want to get all political about it. You know, all the things we've done. Still, if Jesus was telling this story to farmers and said 100 fold, they too would perk up and say, I want 100 fold. That is a great yield. This is actually 100 bags. 
And I wanted you to see it because I wanted you to have that visual of the return that Jesus is talking about. One bag yields 100 bags. I just want you to have this visual in your mind because it's a powerful thing and it would have captured the listener's imagination. And then Jesus says this amazing thing at the end of his parable. Look at verse 8. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, my guess is that pretty good odds, the vast majority of the people listening to Jesus had ears. Right? So he's obviously not saying, if by chance you happen to have brought your ears with you, right? They all had ears. So he's obviously saying something different. What he's saying is, just because you have ears doesn't mean you're listening to me. Just because you have the ability to hear doesn't mean you actually hear what what I'm saying. So Jesus is challenging them. He's saying, do more than just hear. Do more than just be a spectator. I am saying something, and you need to, to let this sink in. You need to take what I'm saying, and you need to put it into action. Remember, a big part of this story is helping the people, helping the disciples to understand who are the spectators and, and who are the true followers of Jesus. It's a story about following Christ. It's a story about a discipleship, but it's also a story about a hundredfold harvest. The disciples, they're struggling to figure out the connection here. Jesus' stories tend to confuse them, and he, they ask him, so what's the deal with the story? What does it really mean? And it turns out Jesus wasn't ever talking about farming at all. He says in verse 11, the seeds are the word of God. Word here is logos, and if, again, if you've been around the church, you've heard that word. Actually, that's a word that is used in the Gospel of John to, to, as a title for Jesus, that he is the logos of God. The, in the beginning was the word, that's logos. The word was God, the word was with God. So that every time you see that word logos it's, or, or word, it's the word logos, and it's this picture. But the, the definition, just the straight-out definition of logos is is this expression of thought or a person sharing a message. It means that in that culture, that anytime someone had a, a thought or an expression that they wanted to share with somebody else, they were expressing logos, which is pretty cool because that means Jesus is the expression of God. Get it? That Jesus comes to, to convey a thought about God to us. That's why they call him the logos. But here we have this picture that, that the, the seed in this parable, is the word of God. The seed in this parable is any time God speaks to you. The seed in this parable is the revelation of God. So we have this amazing gift in the scriptures, the Holy Bible. This is the word of God, right? So we we have the word of God, and when you read this and God uses this to speak something personal to you, that's that's a moment where you have revelation through the spirit, through the word that's for you. That's the word of God. Or maybe someone in in the body comes to you and they say, God has really laid something in my heart. I want to share it to you. And you know when you hear it that it's something from God. That's a, a revelation from God. That's God speaking to you through his body, the church. Or maybe God speaks to you through circumstances. Or maybe sometimes you just hear that nudging of the spirit to do something or to stop doing something or to say something or, in my case, not to say something. Seems like more often than he has has to say, yeah, you don't need to speak into this, Doug. But that's the spirit of God. That's the revelation of God. That's the seed that the parable is talking about. Anytime God reveals something to us. 
I think the unfortunate part of this scripture is it's often been narrowed down to just a scripture about evangelism, that this is about when the gospel goes out, sometimes the gospel's received and people are saved, and sometimes it's not received and, and people aren't saved. And I think that is an application of this passage, but I think it's way too limiting because the truth of the matter is, if you have said yes to Jesus, you are living into and out of this passage every single day. Because God is a God who speaks. God is giving you a word all the time. God is placing seed in your life. And what you do with the word from God is, a, is, is all based on whether or not you have the right condition of your heart. So the word is, is or the seed is, is the word of God. It's the revelation of God. And the ground, the soil where the seed lands is a picture of our heart. I want you to see these definitions of, of heart that I found, and I think they, they kind of get to us. It's the effective center of our being, the effective center of our being, the capacity and the determiner of our moral preference. And my favorite of the three is the desire producer that makes us tick. Your heart is what makes you tick. Your heart is what makes you who you are. Your heart is what makes you make the moral choices that, you're, that you make. Your heart is, is the thing that actually makes you who you actually are. And the condition of your heart determines what happens to the seed, the word of God, when it comes to you. God speaks, God invites, and the condition of your heart determines what happens with the revelation of God. And Jesus, he's describing four conditions of the heart. He says, some hearts are hard. This is a picture of being hostile to the gospel. This is a picture of being hostile, hostile to anything that has to do with God. To me, this is a picture of just holding God at arm's length. So I have acquaintances in my life, people that I've interacted with who have basically said to me, especially when they find out what I do for a living, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want anything to do with your Jesus stuff. Right? They are literally hostile to the idea. Well, you know what? Their hearts are hard. They're holding God at arm's length. And it really doesn't matter what I say in that moment. It's going to fall on deaf ears. They're not interested in what God has. Their heart is hard, and it just falls away, and the devil takes it away from them. Jesus says some hearts are hard. And he said some hearts, some hearts are shallow. This is a picture of having an interest in the things about Jesus, but only to, to a certain extent. It's, it's wanting Jesus, but wanting what you want too. It's saying, okay, Jesus, that's great. I, I'm going to take that thing called salvation because eternity sounds really good to me, but I still want to do what I want to do, right? It, it's sort of being just partially committed. And what it's saying is in that case that it's not going to bear fruit. The, the roots are not going to take hold. It's not going to bear any kind of fruit. Jesus says there's hard hearts, there's shallow hearts, and then he says there's crowded hearts. And can I tell you, church, I think this is one we have to really pay attention to. In our culture, this is an easy one to get trapped into. Verse 14 says, a person gets a, a revelation from God. They receive it with joy. I love that picture. They, they hear something from God. They're excited about what they hear from God. And then it says that it's choked out by the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of life. Some translations say the, the worries and the difficulties of life. But what I want you to notice is that what crowds out the voice of God in our life, what crowds out the revelation of God in our life, isn't necessarily a bad thing. I had a conversation with a mom this week, as a matter of fact, 
And she said, I'm struggling to balance my commitment to church, my spiritual growth, and travel sports. She said, something's obviously wrong if I am unable to attend church for the majority of the summer. You see, we give other things priority in our lives over our walk with God. Now, here's the deal. I am not opposed to sports. I started Eagle Sports Club. I believe in sports. I believe it's a powerful tool in the life of the kids. I believe it's an an important part of a healthy community. I am for sports. I'm not even against travel sports, but I am telling you that it's possible sometimes a good thing that God has given to you can get into the way of the very thing that God wants for you because you give it priority in your life, and all of a sudden, it crowds out the revelation of God in your life. My friend said, it just doesn't feel right. And then she said, but I don't know what the solution is. I love the honesty of that. I applaud the honesty of that. And I would say, I know who knows what to do with it. Are you willing to take it to God in prayer? And if you're willing to pray about it, are you willing to pray about it in such a way that you hold this thing that's crowding out the revelation of God in your life loosely enough that he says, no, it's not for you. You know what? Maybe he's going to say that. It's not for you. Travel sports isn't for you. Maybe it is for you, but I want you to have a church service every Sunday early in the morning with all of the other kids that are a part of your travel team. Why don't you bring the church with you? Why don't you make the church happen there? Why don't we find a way to make that thing the very thing that's helping you in your spiritual journey and not get away? I don't know what God's going to answer to you, but if you aren't willing to pray about it, and if you're holding it so tightly, You're not going to hear what God has to say. It's going to choke out the revelation of God. He says, can you hold your things loosely? Can you just embrace me and allow me to tell you what I have for you is so good that if you take it and you respond to it, you will have a hundredfold harvest. I talked to another friend uh, just recently, and he said, these are his words. He works seven days a week. He says, I have to work seven days a week. It's the only way I can have a competitive edge. It's what I have to do. Can I tell you, there is no possible way that you can work seven days a week and have a healthy spiritual connection to God. You know why I know that? Because God told me. He told me in his word, he said, I designed you for rest. I designed you to take Sabbath. I designed. And you know what's an indicator of, and look, I'm guilty of this when I... I find lots of days where I'm supposed to be resting, where I'm working, and I think if I don't do it, it's not going to get done, and i got to get it done. You know what? That's an indicator of my lack of trust in God. When God called the people to Sabbath, it was, do you really trust me? Are you willing to put the land aside and not grow crops and trust that I'm going to provide for you? All of that was just an exercise in trust. Do you really trust me? And the truth of the matter is the busyness of life crowds out the revelation of God in our life. Jesus said there's hard hearts, there's shallow hearts, there's crowded hearts, and then there's good hearts. This is a picture of not resisting, not holding God at arm's length, being fully committed to whatever God calls you to do. It's about being open and soft. It's a a picture of holding nothing back, not allowing the pleasures and the good things in life to get in the way and overshadow or overpower the revelation of God speaking in your life. And he says, good soil, good soil produces a a hundredfold more than you can ask, think, or imagine. Good soil, good hearts. These are the hearts that hear the word of God and do 
what it tells you. How does Jesus in this story? He says, my mother and brother are those who hear the word of God and do it. He's saying the distinguishing mark between a follower and a spectator is the ones that hear the word of God and do it. So at Grace, we say the mark of a disciple is a person who can hear and obey. They've learned to tune into the voice of God in their lives through all the different ways that God speaks through his word, through his body, through circumstances, through the spirit of God speaking directly to them. They can hear the word of God, but when they hear the word of God, they do what God says. This is the picture. This is the mark. This is what it means to be a disciple. Last week, I told you that worship is way more than singing It's way more than what we do on Sunday morning. The definition I gave you for worship last week is it's an active, appropriate response to the invitations of God in your life. This is just a continuation of that same thought. God is always speaking. God is always inviting us to something. God is always putting new revelation in front of us. And what we do with that revelation makes a difference of whether we bear a hundredfold fruit or no fruit at all. The idea is that we hear and obey. And here's the problem. Many of us, when we hear the word obey, we think about rules. We think about all the things we can't do. We think about restrictions. We think about life is boring when you follow the rules. So the very word obedience for some of us feels like oppression, right? And on the other hand, the idea of doing what you want, being master of your own soul, captain of your own ship, sounds like freedom. If there's one thing that I wish for us as a church, that I pray for us as a church, even this morning, is that we could grasp more fully that what I just said is a complete falsehood. The paradox of life is that freedom as defined by the world places us in slavery and obedience is freedom. And that isn't intuitively normal for us to think about, but when you truly let your mind sink into it, you realize that disobedience becomes addiction. Disobedience becomes pain. Disobedience becomes loss. And we so quickly are are pulled into being slaves to our own sin and our families fall apart and our friendships are destroyed, all for the sake of doing what I want when I want to. I want freedom. I don't want anybody to tell me. Nobody's ever going to tell me what I have to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. And things fall apart and you become in bondage to your very freedom. And Jesus says, no, I came to set you free. And if I set you free, you're free indeed. I came to set you free. And the people that are following are people that hear the voice of God in their lives and do what he's asking you to do. Obedience is freedom. Obedience to the revelation of God is freedom. So what's the hundredfold? This was the hardest thing for me this week. Matter of fact, I had conversations with people at lunch. I had conversations with people at breakfast. What is the hundredfold? And here's what I can tell you. This is not a passage about money. And if anybody ever teaches this passage to you and it's about money, you should storm the stage and drag them off. Because this is not, don't really do that. This is not about money. Now, it could translate to money, but that is not what this passage is about. This is a passage about the revelation of God in your life. And it says that if you listen to God, if you do what God says, that God is going to reveal more to you. The hundredfold is more of Jesus. The hundredfold is more of God. That as we learn to do what God calls us to do, we receive more of what God has for us. A few observations. This hundredfold fruit, it, it takes time. It takes patience. Verse 15, 
He's talking about the good heart. He says he holds, the person has a good heart, holds it fast in an honest and good heart and bears fruit with patience. We wouldn't need patience if it just happened like that. Hundredfold harvest takes time. We have to stay the course. We have to continue to do the thing that God has called us to do if we want to receive the things that God is promising to us. The second observation that I would make from this passage is so important is that God's revelation is available to you. I have people come to me sometimes and they say, I, God never speaks to me. I've never heard God speak. I, I don't think God speaks. I, I, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of calling this, calling God's bluff, if you want to say, and I don't, I don't believe that God is a God who speaks. What I want you to see from this passage is that God is not hiding from you. That Jesus came to be the very revelation of God. He came to show us who God is. The word of God is, is for us so that we can hear God speak and to our lives. As a matter of fact, I believe that if you earnestly ask God today, what do you want me to do today? If you're willing to ask that question, I believe God will answer you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you in an exercise to do just that. So I want you to close your eyes. I want you to trust me. Close your eyes. I want you to just take a deep breath. And as you take a deep breath, imagine breathing the spirit of God into your very soul I want you to just let that deep breath out and think about letting go of all of the stuff that you brought in here with you. Take another deep breath. I want you to ask the Lord, God, in your spirit, ask God, what do you want me to do today? Lord, what do you want me to do this week? Don't ask him what to do with the rest of your life. Ask him what he wants you to do today. Listen for a word. Maybe God's going to bring a picture to mind. Some of you already see a picture of somebody in your life. And you know God is telling you, I want you to go have a conversation with them. I know they hurt you. I want you to go extend a hand of forgiveness to them. Some of you feel in your spirit that God is saying, I want you to stop that bad habit that's been holding you back. Some of you just heard this gentle voice say, would you just spend more time with me? The question is, what are we going to do with the revelation of God in our lives? In this passage, Jesus says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar. This is verse 16, and puts it under the bed. And he puts it on a stand so that the, so as they enter, they may see the light. The context of this passage is the revelation of God. And Jesus is saying, I'm putting it on the stand. I'm lighting it up. I'm making it available for you. You can see it. You can receive it. I am going to speak to you. I'm not hiding from you. I'm not playing games with you. I want to speak into your life on a daily basis basis. Verse 18. This is the passage that really kind of sums up what the hundredfold is all about. He says, take care how you hear for the one who has more will be given. And for the one who has not, even what they think they have will be taken away. So here's the deal. How you hear, how you listen determines what you hear. 
Let me say that again because it's really important. How you hear, how you listen, how you respond to the revelation of God in your life determines the revelation of God in your life going forward. The passage says that if you respond to the revelation of God in your life, you're going to get more revelation of God. That's why I said the hundredfold harvest is more of Jesus. Do you want more of Jesus? you want a hundred times more of Jesus in your life? Do you want that? So the picture is responding to the word of God in your life. For those who have, more will be given. Fascinating thing is Jesus taught in simple stories. And he said, I teach this way so that children can understand This is how I reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God in story, in simple ways that that even a child can understand. But the people who couldn't understand were the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and they could not hear. They had Jesus standing right in front of them. The Son of God was right there. They couldn't see him, and they couldn't hear him because for all of their life, they had refused to hear and obey the word of God in their lives. Their ears had become calloused to God, and we are all at risk of this. There's an invitation to more of Jesus, but there's also a warning. Those who don't hear, even what they think they have is going to be taken away. If you know what God is calling you to do and you refuse to do it, your ears can become calloused and you no longer can hear the voice of God in your life. That's why it's so important that we be people who hear and obey. And the more we hear and the more we obey, the more we hear the voice of God in our lives. It's an incredible invitation that God is offering. So the question to ponder this morning is, what is the condition of your heart? And what I want you to hear is that this is a very fluid thing. You don't get to decide once and for all, okay, I have a good heart and my heart is good and it's always going to be good because some days my heart is hard. Some days I'm holding God at arm's length. Some days the very revelation of God doesn't sink into good soil and I push away the things of God and I don't get the the reaping of the harvest that God wants for me. Our hearts are always changing. This is a daily question for you. What is the condition of my heart? Is your heart hard? Are you holding God at arm's length? Is your heart shallow? Do you want some of God but... Not all of God. You want to hold on to a few things for yourself. Is your heart crowded? Are you going at a pace that has left you stressed and tired and it's choking out the revelation of God? There's a powerful picture in this one that just I can't get out of my mind because it talks about the fact that this is people who hear the word of God and receive it with joy. But when they go away, it, it... it doesn't bear fruit, and, and I picture so many people who come down here, and, and I know you, and I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm just trying to point this out. Sometimes you know that God is speaking to you. You've heard God say, I want you to take care of them. You come down here in, in all earnesty and the power of God moving in your life, and we pray together, and we feel the Spirit of God moving, and then two weeks later I get a call, and it just says I'm back to where I was. I'm back to where I was. It's not bearing the fruit that I thought it was going to bear. I've slipped right back into the same place that I was. Where's your heart soft? Do you have a heart of worship? 
knowing that God is inviting you into something that's more than you can ask, think, or imagine. And the idea of being obedient to him is just going to spur on more obedience to him and more of Jesus in your life. And that's what you want. And your heart is soft to the invitation that God has for you. God is a God of invitation. And the invitation this morning is to let go, let down whatever barrier you may have, and allow the person who knows you best and loves you most to give you more than you could ask, think, or imagine. Bow your heads with me. Lord, I just pray that the truth of this powerful parable that you gave to us through your word of God would sink deep into our hearts. I pray that we would know that you are inviting us to a hundred times more of you than we currently have just by receiving your word and doing the very things you've called us to do. Not because it's a list of do's and don'ts, because it's an invitation to walk faithfully with you. I pray for the people in the room that just know that what's, what's most important for them this morning is to say yes to you. I pray that they would say yes to you, that they wouldn't hold you at arm's length and they say, Jesus, I need you as my personal Savior. I cannot do this on my own. My life is not bearing fruit. Lord, would you be my Lord and Savior? I hold nothing back from you. Everything I have is yours. I pray for those of us in the room who have been walking with you for a long time, but we're still holding on to stuff that keeps us from growing. We're holding on to pain. We're holding on to shame. We're holding on to unforgiveness. Lord, would you show us how to release that, how to trust you enough to give you back our unforgiveness and allow the revelation of God in our lives to fall in good soil and bear fruit a hundredfold. Show us how to be people of worship, to have good, soft hearts, good soil. Lord, we ask all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? So there are always people down here that would love to pray with you. I just want to invite you to come down and pray with us if you'd like to. Just encourage you to have a great Sunday. May the Lord be with you.